Welcome to the Vital Health Podcast. I'm Jodie Duval and I'm a functional naturopath in Perth, WA. This is a place where you can expand your knowledge on how to optimise your health and realise your full potential. We'll have cutting-edge information with expert guests and having lots of fun along the way. Get ready to be empowered and motivated to reach your higher vitality and find your ultimate potential. Let's go! So today I had an amazing conversation with Len May, CEO of Endocanna Health. Now, Len May is a certified medical cannabis specialist in medicinal genomics with 25 years of cannabis-based experience. He is the president of a Cannabis Action Network and a board member and lifetime member of California Cannabis Association. Len has a Master's of Medi- Medical Cannabis and an endocannabinoid Formulation Specialist certification, certification from the Institute for the Advancement of Integrative Medicine. Currently, Len May is CEO and co-founder of Endocana Health, a bioscience technology company. Now, Len and I have a fantastic conversation all about cannabis, all about individualization of medicinal cannabis and why you should not be scared of taking cannabis as a medicinal substance. A fascinating discussion surrounding dosing and metabolism, specific cannabinoids and terpenes and the entourage effect. We talk about cannabis legalities and the future of cannabis. So it's not to be missed and we hope you really enjoy this conversation. Hi Len, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on this morning and late night for you. It's not that late, but thank you for having me. It's the middle of the afternoon, like four o'clock, uh, four p.m. Perfect, perfect. So we can still still have brain power <laughs> available to Somewhat. you. Somewhat. It's start. It's starting to fade a little bit because it's been a long day, but it's Friday, so but it, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's worse, early morning or late afternoon, when you're just sort of wanting to wind down and you can't. <laughs> It depends on your DNA. It depends what kind of person. Sometimes you're a morning person. Sometimes you're an evening person. Depends when you have, you know, most of your brain power going. There you go. We can also jump into that later. So <laughs> today we're here to talk about cannabis. We're here to talk about genetics and cannabis. And I am super excited to, to be talking to you about all of this. And you are the expert. I've done a little bit of research over the past sort of eight months or so, um, but I definitely don't know anywhere near what you know. So I am mm-hmm. really hanging to, to pick your brain, <laughs> put it that way. Great. Pick. So, so we'll start off with a bit of history about yourself. How did, how did you become interested in cannabis? How did this path lead you to, to this point? Yeah, so I was... Uh, um... I was a kid that would go to school and uh, would sit in class and then all these thoughts would pop into my head. So my brain would travel in different directions. And so I was diagnosed with ADD, attention mm-hmm. deficit disorder. Without the H, I wasn't hyperactive. And I was all, uh, as a teenager, I was put on all kinds of prescription medication. And uh, I was hanging out with some older kids and one of them asked me if I wanted to smoke a cigarette. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, sure, I'll be cool, smoke a cigarette. and. Uh, they passed it to me and I inhaled it and it wasn't a cigarette. Uh, it was, they filled it with cannabis. So I went back to class and all of a sudden my windows that are in my head like narrowed in and it became small so I could focus. So it kind of became my go-to medicine. Mm-hmm. And from there, um, you know, I was a consumer and my parents didn't really like that too much. So they would catch me and I'd get in trouble and they, they end up actually kicking me out and uh, calling the police on me. The irony of it is that 
<laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh, they, they consume formulations that I, that I created now. So it all kind of came full circle. It's just uh, interesting, <laughs> uh, the stigma associated with that. So uh, I became an activist. I was a president of uh, something called the Cannabis Action Network. So we fought for legalization. Um, I'm from Philadelphia. I lived in Philadelphia in the U.S. Uh, I was actually born in Lithuania and I'm immigrating. I was six years old and grew up in Philadelphia. So where the Constitution and Declaration of Independence uh, are, all on hemp paper, by the way. Uh, we held the rally uh, in 1993. 94, some of that. And then uh, moving, moving to Los Angeles uh, about 12 years ago or so, I got into the dispensary space mm-hmm. and uh, was able to really see the therapeutic uh, properties of this plant firsthand by seeing hundreds of people. But the one thing that I kept like uh, uh, kind of stopping and pausing is that two people would, with the same symptomatic condition would take the same exact chemovar or strain, as you would call it, and it was a completely different experience. And it was mind boggling to me. So I, my kind of ADD is like, I'm either multitasking my superpower or I can hyper-focus on something. So I started being obsessed with trying to figure this out. And I came across a video by a gentleman with, that was genetically sequenced cannabis. And I went and uh, anyway, ended up working with them. And my job was to travel around the US and Canada and get plant material. I would extract the DNA from there in my lab and I would purify it and they taught me how to do that and I would send it to a genetic sequencer. So we started the first uh, cultivar, chemovar library called Canopedia. So we can see strain names. So for those of you that know, like we call these uh, uh, plants different strains, which I never understood the name because uh, the name, the word strain refers to a virus and this is far from a virus. Actually, it's a, it's a, it should be called a chemovar, which is short for a chemical variety or a cultivar, but we call it strain. So we'll go with that for the time being. So I would pick like five blue dreams, bring them in, genetically sequence them and say, okay, uh, two of them are identically genetically. Uh, then two are similar, cousins related, and one is not even that. So in doing that, I started seeing that it is, you know, the plant uh, names are different. But then we had a meeting in Harvard Medical School with doctors that were treating kids with epilepsy. And they were treating kids with epilepsy using CBD. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were saying they go from 100 seizures to zero. But then we had some outliers. And some kids, they, uh, the seizures would either come back or it wasn't working for them. So when we genetically sequenced the kids, pharmacogenomics, we saw they had biomarkers that were in common for a form of epilepsy called Dravet syndrome. And we published uh, an article on that. And then uh, GW Pharmaceuticals picked up on that and they started focusing on the product they got past the FDA, which is uh, Epidiolex versus Sativax. So that's when I had my aha moment. I said, well, there's one biomarker, maybe there's other biomarkers. I approached them, they said they wanted to focus on a plant. So it gave me the opportunity to take some scientists with me and launch uh, our company, Endocana Health, in 2017. So it's a long-winded story, but that's how I kind of got there. That's amazing. And, and to be involved in the research and to be able to, to create all of that there. I have a question. It is Phytofax, because I came across that in some of my research, um, is that anything to do with, because I, I distribute, you know, looking at those different terpenes and different cannabinoids, um, mm-hmm. is there something like that, like a database that, um, that you refer to or have created in a way for, 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 for side effects? 
for for as as in the strains um, or the chemovars and to actually looking at those specific um, qualities in each of those strains. Is there anything like yeah. that base there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's not about the strain. So here's the thing with the strains. When you cultivate the plant, mm-hmm. the further you are away from the seed, the more what's called genetic drift that you have. So just because you named it something, it doesn't mean that you're going to have consistency. It's a, it's a plant. So it always changes. You can get the ideas of what that plant is going to be uh, based on, you know, the name and the terpene and the cannabinoid profile. So there are databases like that. There's a, like Leafly is one of them. It'll give you an indication of uh, these types of strains are more associated with uh, uh, sedation. So they're more sedative. Uh, so indica leaning. Mm-hmm. And then these are more sativa leaning. But I want the audience and everybody to understand that it has everything to do with the combination of cannabinoids and terpenes, which are the essential oils that the plant produces. So the plant has its DNA. There's somewhere around 500 different components in the plant. So it has the major cannabinoids, the minor cannabinoids, it has flavonoids, it has terpenes, which are those essential oils. And the way they work together in concert which uh, you know, Dr. Ethan Musa called the entourage effect and all that. So the way they work in concert together is really the difference and how the, that concert works with your own DNA is where you have the personalized experience. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, amazing. Um, the, the quality, I guess, of the cannabis is and, and knowing exactly what you're going to get. You know, there's, there's the DNA component and then knowing where to, where to go, what to do and what to look for. And that, that, that then helps people, I guess, determine more individualization towards their cannabis medicine, making sure that it's actually designed for them you know, after looking at the DNA. Um, yeah, I mean, the, probably the best way, if I were to have a crystal ball, the best way is to formulate Right. So we, instead of instead of just cultivating the flower uh, that you can consume smoke, which mm-hmm. is fine, I have no issue with that. But in order to get consistency and to really use it as a therapeutic wellness product, you have to be able to know like a nutraceutical, like you would go, you have vitamins and nutrients, you go to your vitamin nutrient shop and yeah. wherever you are in the world, you would get the same exact consistency because it's, you pull the plant apart and you put it back together to its precise components and you're going to get precision every single time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with you. So, you know, it, 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 it fascinates me in the fact that this um, plant can be so absolutely amazing. And then the stigma behind it has been there for hundreds of years, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do you see that sort of, um, you know, coming from and looking forward? And I know there's lots of movement in the space right now, um, yeah. but is it, is it going to be still this slow moving or do you think we're really getting speed on this at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful that the new administration in the US, yeah. uh, as, as, you know, as much as people, you know, want to, governments want to control their own destiny, everybody looks to the US. All policy globally stems from the U.S. drug policy. It happened like that for you know many many years, and they just take the cue from that. I believe the new administration is going to do something. Mm-hmm. What they're going to do, I'm not 100% sure. If I had a if I had a crystal ball and I would just like say, okay, what I think is going to happen is mm-hmm. they're going to decriminalize it, the same way they're going to remove prohibition and allow the states themselves to govern. How because the U.S. is interesting. It's like we have states, but they're all like individual countries. They're run individually. Uh, they have different. You even speak differently. Uh, mm-hmm. It's an inter- interesting uh, place like that. So yeah. they're going to be able to develop 
their own guidelines for distribution. And I think what's going to happen is they're going to have interstate commerce between friendly states. So Mm -hmm. New York is looking to uh, legalize and they're already talking to the bordering states of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, you know, Connecticut to see if they can create some sort of pact. So interstate commerce will happen. Uh, So I believe that's, that's the first move, how to implement that. It's interesting because now even states are legal. There are states like New Jersey and they still don't have a a program set up. So there's a lot of political maneuvering, even when they decriminalize it uh, on the federal level, I think it's going to take a while to implement. And the first, the first act that needs to be taken is we need to be able to tax and bank properly, just like any other business. And I think once the money starts flowing, uh, all the regulations will start flowing and probably to be dual paths. There'll be a pharmaceutical path, which will be individual components, which is already happening now. Yeah. And then there'll be more of a nutraceutical uh, path, which is the combination of all different components. And there'll be, you know, plant the right medicine or therapeutics or wellness. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting to hear your opinion on that as well. Yeah, amazing. So talk to me a little bit about um, just picking apart what you said earlier about the dispensary base. So how did you get into that? And what does that look like now? Um, you know, for those who are listening in Australia, a lot of people don't even know what that dis- that kind of a dispensary looks like. So um, and then we'll dive into a little bit more of the, the cannabinoids and then the terpenes and just their benefits individually. It's it's an overwhelming experience for people. I just had a I had a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday, and she was like, "Going into a dispensary is just overwhelming. There's so much stuff." And uh, I was doing this in 2009, 2010, around there. Uh, in California, we had Prop 215 and SB 420. So it was this bill that was a it's a non for profit. Everybody's a patient. You have to have a medical card. Uh, it was very easy to get a medical card at the time. So how many real medical patients we would get, who knows? Everybody has some sort of illness. You know, my back hurts. Uh, great cannabis. I'll take an ounce of that. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, so when you walk into a dispensary, the way you get, you check in, they check your ID now because it's um, for adult use, or I, I don't like to say recreational because I don't believe it's recreational. Let's say 21 and over adult use, and you show your driver's license and you come into a dispensary before you have to show your driver's license and your medical card. Uh, you know, fill out a form, you go into a dispensary, and then the dispensary is set up with uh, different types of products. So you have flour, and you have flour in jars, or you can, right now, you can't especially with COVID, uh, you can't really touch it, but you can see what the flower will look like. Uh, They give you a description of what that name of that strain is. And uh, you should have test results. So test results should be on all the packages. And the test results are certificates of analysis where they show you no pesticides, no heavy metals, et cetera. So you're getting a good, clean product. And uh, then, I mean, in California, we're spoiled. We have everything from edibles, to live rosin, which is basically taking the plant, pressing it with heat and pressure, and then being able to uh, um, yeah, sorry, my, my dog just jumped on my lap and like pulled my microphone, so I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and then and then you have then you have like gummies, uh, you have uh, you know different tinctures, sublingual sprays, mints. Soaps, bath bombs—I mean, you name it. Anything you can possibly think of, 
they have cannabis in it. So wow, all, all, all of the crew here in Australia are probably salivating. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not only it's it's California because I, when I travel to different yeah. states in the U.S., yeah. uh, they don't have that type of variety. So we're, we're definitely spoiled. <laughs> That's incredible. That was another question of mine is because cannabis is a bioaccumulator and um, you know, you have to be very careful of, of how and, and where you grow it. Uh, so that's something that I, I guess lack of regulation in places like Australia, when you're, you're getting it illegally, um, you just right. don't know how it's been growing, what it's been growing on, what it's been sprayed on. We were in, um, yes. over in the Eastern States of Australia and in, in sort of like the, the cannabis town over there, which yes. is very unique in itself. Yeah. Um, but that was saying that they were they were spraying it with, with drugs, the cannabis, to make it a little bit more addictive. So you, some, sometimes you just don't even know what you're getting um, if that's not being regulated. And that's where I think the importance comes from, actually, the regulation as well. But, yeah, I think the heavy metals and the pesticides, it's a, it's a very um, real thing that people can get, you know, exposed to, which is not great. For sure. <laughs> you're trying to heal yourself. Yeah, no, for yeah. sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a, and, and also, you know, People need to understand that it, it is a substance. It is a, whatever the definition of a drug is, uh, it's altering. There's something that happens in your mind and your body when you consume. So you have to consume responsibly. Set and setting is important, but also other things that you put in your body, uh, you know, other medications, drug interactions, all those things are really, really key. So mm -hmm. just being aware of how you consume responsibly is really, really important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's dive in before we go into the actual testing and we will get there. <laughs> but I have so many other questions for you. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the cannabinoids, because when I mention cannabis to, to any of my patients here um, or my clients or, you know, colleagues over here in Australia, they, they think it's just cannabis. There's nothing else. There's maybe a CBD, maybe a THC they know about. But when you start mentioning CBG, CBM, you know, so all these amazing other cannabinoids that we can be using. So maybe step me through some of the major ones that you've been um, involved in or, or know about. Yeah, I mean, we know some of the major, like, as you were mentioning, <clears throat> just so people can understand, when you cultivate the plant, the plant itself uh, is primarily the active cannabinoid that controls a plant is CBG. And then from the CBG, you get the derivatives of that, which are the conversions of uh, THC, uh, CBD, uh, THCV, uh, CBC, all the different, uh, different cannabinoids. But they all come with an acid molecule attached. So when you see it, it's actually THCA, CBDA. And those are the non-activated forms of the cannabinoids. They're, like I said, they're over 400 to 500 different substances in the plant. We don't know what they all are. We can see them on different equipment when we, when we look at what's inside the cannabis plant. We can see them. We're not sure what they are. We believe they're all minor cannabinoids that help the major cannabinoids to have some sort of effect. And they were working in concert with the different uh, terpenes, as, as I mentioned before. Mm. So when you take the plant itself and you heat it, uh, there's a conversion. So the acid molecule drops off and you have conversion like THC, uh, THCA converts to delta-9, tetrahydrocannabinol. Uh, there's also delta-8, which is a little bit less an intoxicating version of delta-9. It's missing that one uh, uh, molecule and then uh, CBD, et cetera. But the binding to the receptors uh, begins 
when that acid molecule falls off. So on, if you just consume the plant raw, uh, it's going to be non-intoxicating because it doesn't have the receptor binding. Still very beneficial for many different things, but each one of the components heated minus the acid molecule has an affinity for receptor. Some of them, we're not sure what receptors there are. Uh, some of them, we think there's uh, three receptor bindings for it to have an effect. I was uh, watching a study, uh, sort of participating in sidelines in, in Israel on um, cancer. And what they were showing is that it has to have three receptor binding uh, areas to create what's called apoptosis, which is cell death. Mm. And uh, so, and then there's uh, studies that are going, going on with the individual components. There's one on uh, CBDV that is going on uh, for autism, for instance. Uh, so there's an individual study there. We're looking at CBG isolated. We're looking at uh, THCV, which has been shown to have appetite suppressant qualities. Uh, we're not sure because they're all they're, they're done either in a Petri dish uh, or they're done in a, in a mouse study. They're not human studies. Uh, even the studies that have been done on epidiolex, and you're looking at the published research, which is, as I mentioned before, it mm -hmm. is an isolated CBD that's somewhere around 98% CBD. It's yes. very, very hard to get naturally and with some flavorings added to it and specific to that uh, Gervais syndrome. But the amount of it that you're consuming in the, in the mouse studies, there was a lot of liver toxicity. Well, if you're, if you're consuming a heavy, heavy, heavy dose of anything, there's going to be liver toxicity. So we have to understand that the mouse studies versus the human studies versus how much you're going to consume and also the individual metabolism. We all metabolize things differently. So if you're an ultra rapid metabolizer, you, you can take in some more and it'll come out. If you're a poor metabolizer, it'll stay in your system a lot longer and mm -hmm. take longer to metabolize. So those are all different variables. Uh, I'm not sure if I answered your whole question about different cannabinoids uh, or not. Uh, I think we could be going on for a little while if we were doing all the, canna <laughs> the cannabinoids. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all, all, them, all, them have, all them have individual uh, properties that are beneficial for certain things. We yeah. don't know what they are yet. Yes. Uh, there are studies in uh, like the NCBI PubMed database. There are studies that are beginning, but they're really far and few between. And yeah. that's for many political reasons why that happened. In yeah. the United States, in order for you to conduct research on cannabis, you, there was only one source, University of Mississippi, that you go and you get cannabis. That cannabis is so different from anything you would ever get anywhere else. Like you're looking at you know, a 7% THC, which is almost impossible. You can't replicate that anywhere. So even the studies that were done are questionable. The studies that have been done and more prevalent that we can see are with the two major cannabinoids, which is THC and CBD. Uh, yeah. So those are the ones that we can kind of point to. The yeah. other ones, we're learning, and uh, we're learning how they work individually and, and together. Yeah, and there's a lot of interesting stuff coming through on the Delta-8 THC I'm hearing as well. Yeah, and even even the consumer products, beers and drinks and you know, yeah. <laughs> all sorts of stuff coming through yeah. on those, which is fascinating yeah. in itself as well. So when we're looking at, um, and we'll talk about the entourage effect from the, the amazing uh, Russo as well, Ethan Russo, um, but he also talks a, a lot about the endocannabinoid deficiency as well. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure if we'll get into that in terms of the, the testing um, that, that you do and how that might align with how you can tell, you know, in those sorts of ways. 
but what's your um, your take on that endocannabinoid deficiency and yeah. the individualization between people? Yeah, well, Dr. Ethan Russo sits on our, on our science board. Uh, I have a, a lot of respect for Ethan. We, we just completed a, a study uh, together that we'll be publishing uh, soon. So uh, we work together closely and I, I definitely learn a lot from, uh, from uh, Dr. Russo. But I have a, I have a theory on this. The, the theory on, uh, if you don't mind, can I take like a couple minutes just describing uh, cannabis and, and the strains and all this other stuff and uh, terpenes, indicas and sativas? So cannabis, there, just, there's a myth about indicas and sativas. There's really no such thing anymore. Okay. But if you look in the history, uh, back when, as far as we can go to the beginnings of where we can trace to what's called land race, which was yeah. the original uh, like strains and, and, and chemovars, the original land race <clears throat> were, uh, the original were found in like Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. uh, where they had a harsher climate. There was four seasons. Uh, and uh, that, that cannabis itself, it's really interesting because under stress, the plant begins to uh, release and mutate and create these uh, different terpene profiles. So when you stress the plant, it creates terpenes and it's to protect itself from uh, the different predators that are native to that specific region. Mm -hmm. And if you look at those specific uh, indica plants that were land raised, they look different. They, they're sort of shorter, uh, the leaves are fatter and uh, they express a really skunky, diesely smell. Mm. And uh, when you isolate that and you start looking at the chemical uh, profile, it's very high in a terpene called mercy. And mercy with the cannabinoids is a sedative. So it's very sedative. So that those are the indica uh, plants that came from there. The sativa plants uh, originated more in a, in a way more humid climate, like in South Africa, the Durbans, or in Hawaii or the Caribbean, like the Maui Wowies, et cetera, uh, they stretch the sun and uh, they have a little bit of a fruitier smell, which is a terpene profile that makes some, uh, that provides uh, like limony, limonene is, uh, is expressed in, in that, which actually boosts dopamine levels. So it gives you a lift up. Mm -hmm. For years, hundreds of years, we started breeding and breeding these plants for more higher THC levels. And we bred out the original indicas and sativas. So I want people to really understand that it's all about the terpene profile with the cannabinoid ratio that provides you the, the effect. Uh, in terms of you know, cannabis uh, uh, deficiency, so my take on it is that we all, as, as your audience, you probably know, we produce our own endogenous and the cannabinoids. Uh, there is indications from genetics why some people have more once, why some some people have less, and I'll explain that in a minute. But I also believe it has a lot to do with prohibition. And what I mean by that is, before prohibition, cannabis was part of our everyday life and our diet. Animals would eat it. Uh, it would be in our water supplies. It would grow wild, hemp, all that stuff. It will be part of our daily diet without us even consciously. It's not about you know smoking weed or whatever it is. It's about consumption of this plant. And because of prohibition, I think that the phytocannabinoids that we were naturally consuming as our supplements, we start taking them. So the, the expression of the deficiencies became much more illuminated for us. Mm -hmm. And then there are definite uh, deficiencies that are based on genetics. So I'll give you one specific one that we can point to right now. There's a gene called FA, F-A-A-H. So FA uh, degrades, breaks down anandamide. 
which is the bliss hormone uh, that is uh, expressed mostly from a, the amygdala part of our brain. And in a, an animal, um, the word anon means uh, bliss in Sanskrit. So this is our bliss hormone. So what happens is uh, THC mimics the way an anime works within our bodies. But what happens is if we have too much fa, it's like the game Pac-Man. It actually eats up the anandamide. If we have too much of it, we produce less anandamide than the average population. Mm-hmm. And the opposite is on a different uh, you know, genotype for that when it's expressed phenotypically. So you can actually tell by genetic predispositions if you're prone to having less of some of the endogenous endocannabinoids so you can see where you may have some deficiencies uh, based on your DNA. Yeah. Wow. Very well said. <laughs> that's clarified a lot for me, even that history. Um, wonderful. Thanks so much, Len. That's, that's really, really good. You're so knowledgeable. It's amazing. <laughs> um, so following on from that then, dosing guidelines. Um, now this is, this is tricky. Obviously you need to have the actual, uh, uh, like we were saying, the, the nutraceutical form or, or the pharmaceutical form to know yeah. exact ratios of certain things. It's very tricky, and we've got like the, the tighter dosing and all those sorts of things that we, we prefer to do with clients. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, and I know there's not already, but from your opinion, what, what, what's your take on dosing? Well, I mean, <laughs> question, I know. My, yeah, my, my take on dosing is uh, same as everybody, like low and slow kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been so many, like Israel has this, uh, this green book. They talk about, uh, you know, milligrams per kilogram. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big believer in all that stuff. I'm a believer in, you got to look at several different things. Number one, you have to look at your own personal experience with cannabis. You know, but based on what your experience has been, if you didn't have any experience, start low and start titrating. Uh, I would do higher CBD, lower THC. Number two, you should know what your pharmacokinetics are. And what I mean by that is there's a series of genes called cytochrome P450 markers. Mm -hmm. Specifically, they provide, um, they metabolize, uh, uh, they provide enzymes that metabolize different substances. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for THC, it's CYP2C9, for instance. So looking at that uh, metabolism, it'll show you whether you are a normal metabolizer, whether you're a poor metabolizer, or you're an uh, ultra rapid metabolizer. Mm-hmm. So understanding that, looking at what you need to be consuming and understand that if you're a poor metabolizer, whatever the recommended dose is, I would start with half of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're a rapid metabolizer, you know, there's going to go through you quickly. Uh, you, you know, you can, uh, you can accelerate that dose as well, but mm-hmm. you with the information that you have can feel empowered to make better decisions. And the third part of that is other substances. I mentioned it already, but if you're on prescription medications of any kind, some cannabinoids can actually inhibit the efficacy of your prescription medication and vice versa. So being aware of and collaborating with your healthcare professional. And if your healthcare professional is anti-cannabis, you may want to look for another healthcare professional if they're not open to educating themselves because most healthcare professionals, a lot of them don't even know about the endocannabinoid system. I don't really blame them that much because it was only discovered in 1992. Mm-hmm. But if, if every physician only goes by, you know, I went to medical school 30 years ago and this is what I was taught. <laughs> you have to be current. Like, look at what's going on today. You do continue education, all that stuff. So 
you have to have a partnership. And this is the one thing that cannabis is a major, major asset for. It's to be able to take better control over your preventative uh, wellness. So it's not about treating something that's acute. It's about going back to what is causing that in your skin. So a lot of people are like, oh, I have eczema or I have psoriasis or something like that. Well, there's a condition that is being expressed in your skin that starts inside your body. So find out what it is. Is it an autoimmune thing? Why is it autoimmune? Maybe it has to do with stress. Well, how, how would it possibly have to do with stress? And my mom always told me, she's like, you got to manage your stress levels, you know, do your yoga, do your meditation. Everything has to do with stress. And I'm like, she's right, but how? Well, one path can be, we talked about fa. So think about it this way. If, if we have a stressful event, something, somebody cuts us off in traffic, something happens. So we have all these different chemicals that are, uh, you know, expressed in, in our bloodstream. We have dopamine, we have uh, neuropinephrine, we have cortisol, all these things are expressed. Now, our brain realizes there's no lion chasing us in the jungle. It's time to get back to normal, which it releases anandamide, which is uh, getting us back to homeostasis. Now, if you have, like I said, too much fa or you know, more fa than the average population, you break down more anandamide, so you're producing less anandamide. And if you're producing less anandamide, you're not subsidizing that with a phytocannabinoid like THC that mimics it. Now, what, after a while, you're storing more cortisol you're storing more cortisol, you become more acidic. Your pH level goes up. Mm. Your immune system really doesn't like that. So it does an overactive immune response. And most of the time, you're going to feel that in your joints and not the ones that you smoke, but you know, your ankles, and <laughs> your elbows and all that other stuff, but in inflammation because your uh, immune system is addressing that. And that's where you can have an autoimmune response and it can stem from stress. And what you're feeling is I feel pain or I have psoriasis, but if you kind of track it down, it could actually be something that is unstable in your body. The immune system doesn't like, and you can kind of look at that as a, as a phenotypic expression of a gene, a genetic predisposition as well. Amazing. Wow. You, you tracked that very well. <laughs> I would never have said that better. I thought I'm like, I'm like, did I get lost somewhere? I was trying to figure it no, out. I'm that like, made complete sense. It. It's just whoop, 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 straight there. I love it. Um, and hundred percent agree with you on all of that. And even the medical um, you know, practitioner side of things as well, that we need to be actually on board with, with furthering our education because it's something that's super important for what's going on now. The patients sometimes know more than them. So that's a bit scary. Um, <laughs> All right, so I think that was a perfect lead on into Andocana Health, and let's give us a little bit of backstory on that, and we can maybe step through a portion of um, testing and what that looks like. Um, so, yeah, a bit of a backstory there, and then I want to dive into some of those factors that how it can actually help with opioids and, you know, can cannabis versus opioids and those who are more sensitive to those sorts of things as well. So. That would be great. I'll leave it <laughs> to you now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, backstory-wise, I, I think uh, I already kind of uh, went yes. over what yes. we did at, uh, at Harvard Medical School. Yes. But here, here's the thing: how how I, it's a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, luck has a lot to do with it. Yeah. And it just when you have a, an idea about something and you're really passionate about it, go for it, even though you may not know the how. But if you connect into the reason enough, just go forward and do that. And for me, it was just super, super, I'm super passionate about this individual properties of plant, like 
it was, it was so clear to me because my mom can take CBD mm-hmm. and for her, it's a sedative. She doesn't take it to sleep. She takes it for pain. As mm-hmm. soon as she takes it and she has insomnia, she goes to sleep and knocks her out. For mm-hmm. me, it does the complete opposite. Yeah. I don't have anything like that. It's okay. like, I, I'm okay. CBD, <laughs> great. I don't. So I'm like, you know, we already know. And, and big pharma, people, uh, they don't do that. It's an individual experience. Everything is personal to the individual. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's empowering people. So what I did was I was lucky to grab one of the scientists from the old company that I work with, uh, you know, meet amazing people like Dr. Ethan Russo, uh, Dr. Mike Tagan, who's a prof of pot, and uh, Dr. Chris Spooner, who's a major, uh, an amazing naturopath. So one of the things we did was we did research. The first six, seven months we launched Endocana Health, we, did re- we looked at every single SNP, which is like a single nucleotide polymorphism, uh, it's just your genes that are, that are unraveled. So, mm-hmm. it's, uh, so you're looking at those specific SNPs that have a direct or indirect association with your endocannabinoid system. And there's a lot of them. And there's some that indirectly uh, even that have an effect. So what we did was we then went to a company called Illumina and we made a custom chip, uh, we call it a super chip. So what it does, it looks at somewhere around 700,000 different genetic markers, biomarkers, or SNPs. And uh, then we create our kit. And our kit is a at-home or you can buy in a store. It's a, it's a buckle swab. So think of it as a, a big Q-tip. You swab the inside your mouth. You put it back in the box. You register. And I want to I express this mm-hmm. in pause and this really, it's really, really important because there's a lot of fear and people giving their DNA, oh, yeah. you're going to clone me. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, you're going to sell my data. Okay. So I want to just say this to everybody so everybody understands. First of all, we have something called a bio vault. Yeah. And uh, we, our system yeah. is built on, uh, it's HIPAA compliant. I don't know the Australian version of HIPAA, but it's, uh, it's your, your data is anonymized. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's privacy. Mm-hmm. The second part of that is, that we're built on Amazon's AWS platform. Uh, all your data resides on two different parts of the platform. So your personal information resides on one, your DNA resides in another. You're the only person that has the, uh, it's encrypted, the decryption code. Mm-hmm. So if you do not register your DNA, you're going to send it to a lab. We will not know that DNA belongs to you. Mm-hmm. Also, I cannot pull up your DNA results and go over them with you mm-hmm. because I don't know where they are. You have to share your screen with me. So I just want to point out that that's really important. Yeah. We do collect data and data is really, really important to us. Yeah. We don't collect Len May's individual data. We collect a thousand people that have similar genotypes than me that took a certain formulation, reported back that that was effective for them. So we can, our AI can get better in making suggestions and we can make better recommendations to the entire industry. So yeah. we are collecting data, but I just want to make that clear. So anyway, you send lab. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other part you can do, if somebody has taken a 23andMe or an Ancestry or any of the other genetic uh, tests, yeah. you can upload your raw data that you already own and mm-hmm. get your results automatically. Yeah. Um, so once you get your email, your results are ready. You will log into your portal and there you would have a report that shows about 160 different reports uh, on different symptomatic conditions that you yeah. may consume cannabis for shows you your genotype, mm-hmm. shows you what variant was detected. So you have a predisposition to a risk, mm-hmm. shows you how to mitigate that risk. 
also drug-to-drug interaction, and then a formulation suggestion of what would be more optimal for you so you can avoid an adverse event, and then it matches you to products that are available in your area. Obviously, some places don't have products, but so, you know, based on the legalities of, uh, you know, where you are. Yeah, yeah. Soon, soon, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think what I found from reading over the report, the most important parts for a lot of people would be anxiety or even the schizophrenia, you know, susceptibilities for high amounts of THC and even mm-hmm. the dependent side of things in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, to know drug interactions of how other drugs may be impacting them, not only just the cannabis, and then to use cannabis instead of that. So right. talk me through just, uh, you know, examples of how you would read the report for things like the anxiety and the schizophrenia and then, and then the dependence side of things. Yeah. So anxiety, I, yeah. I like to start with anxiety or, or mood because yeah. it has a lot to do with endogenous endocannabinoid levels. Yeah. Uh, so some people, uh, so the way you read the report is you have a overview of what the symptomatic condition is. Mm-hmm. You have a summary of your results. It'll say like you are, um, you you may be more prone to stress or you may be more prone to anxiety when stressed yeah. based on the average population. Right. If that's the case, you can also see your ancestral heritage, how you can compare to other groups. So if you're of European descent versus mm-hmm. East Asian descent, you can see how prevalent that is. Mm-hmm. Everything is supported by peer-reviewed studies. If it doesn't have a study, it will not be included in our report. It has to have studies and it's a lifetime update. So we're always looking for new studies. Yeah. We rate those studies and we include them in the, in the report. So the report will show you like uh, for, for stress or anxiety, I can say you may have experienced more anxiety when stressed. Uh, there's also a marker for PTSD, for instance. So not only that, if you're if you're experiencing more stress and anxiety, also that can trigger that movie that plays in your head when you have PTSD. So it'll go back to not only my experience in this in the moment, but remember Grandma Mary when you know you had an awful experience two years ago. Now that brings into your head. Now there's another genotype which is associated with psychomatic uh, psychosis-like effects, and now it can trigger, uh, and there's a gene called AKT1 that can be triggered and expressed phenotypically for psychosis. So now there's certain high amounts of THC that can trigger psychosis. And they're very, 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 very small. And I want to just preface population group that happens. And there is an association with schizophrenia uh, and it's extremely, extremely small. But if you're prone in a perfect storm, Grandma Mary's a poor metabolizer who eats an edible and has an extremely, uh, you know, difficult experience uh, uh, with with uh, because of the conversion of 11 oxyhydroxide with your liver. Also, it's a long uh, uh, effect, and uh, it can actually trigger those genes. Can be turned on just like uh, light switches. So something can be turned on and on and on in a perfect storm. You can experience psychosis, which we've had uh, people experience from time to time. So when people say there are no adverse effects of cannabis, it's 100% safe. Yeah. Um, it's like anything else. Uh, yeah. You know, you can eat too much sugar. You can have too much uh, water, too much caffeine. So being able to to understand that is really important. And uh, you were asking me for dependence too. So one of the things that uh, healthcare professionals they use a report to show people where they may have a predisposition to opioid dependence, for instance. So they have that, 
they can suggest cannabis as an alternative to that. They already know, and we all we have an opiate epidemic, but yeah. if healthcare professionals know, maybe I shouldn't prescribe opiate to a person that I can see they have a predisposition to opiate dependence. I think that would be really helpful and make a suggestion or recommendation to consume cannabis instead. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Oh, I'm super excited to actually have one. I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't get absolutely. there yet. <laughs> I'm saying, as I said to you um, off the recording, is that I've, I've seen my, my colleagues, but I'm, I'm hanging to get mine done as well to see how I'm reacting to everything. Um, so firstly, in, in Australia, do we have any anyone, or can you actually be sending these tests into Australia at this point in time, or anyone um, you know distributing them at the moment? Yeah, so we're, we're a global company. Uh, yeah. We You can buy our kits at endodna.com anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, the challenge is uh, different countries, uh, like so Germany and France, for a, um, for a DNA test, you need to be registered as a medical device. Uh, that's not the case exactly in Australia yet. Uh, so you can take your swab and you can ship it back. The issue is that shipping it to the US. So we don't have a facility yet in Australia, but we're working on it. We have some partnerships. There's a company called Remediate uh, that partner with us. When regulations ease a little bit, uh, they will be a partner, uh, which is setting up a lab and we'll be able to replicate our chip in Australia so we can get those done locally. And we're doing that in different places around the world, in uh, Brazil, in uh, the UK, um, and other places in South America, in Mexico, and in Canada uh, as well. So we're, we're trying to grow as much as possible, but you can buy it and ship it back to the U.S. Uh, right now. Yeah, amazing. And it doesn't take too long. Like We, we, we do ship um, other testing back to um, Genova Labs, say, for example, in, in America. So it can be done, for sure, absolutely. And for those sorts of tests, it's very inconspicuous, so there's not much to them um, with the swaps, you know, not very big packages in that say. Right, yeah. correct. Yeah. All right, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time then because I really appreciate it. Um, yeah. now, talk to me a little bit more about, before we um, leave here, uh, we have touched on it a little bit, but future and regulations. Obviously in the US we've got, um, you know, as you spoke about, but where do you sort of see in the 10-year plan um, us being with cannabis and even in Australia, and I know, I know you're not in Australia, but a little bit more mm -hmm. for people just as a bit of a taster to what you might expect to happen in the next 10 years. Yeah, like I, I really believe that there's going to be two paths. There will be a pharma path because it has to be. And yeah. the reason, one of the reasons why we're going through all these changes is because we had a supposed plant derived product that was finally passed the FDA, which is the GW Pharmaceuticals. And if you look to see the trajectory uh, of that uh, GW being acquired by Jazz Pharmaceuticals for billions of dollars, that should tell us something, all right? Just follow the money. And the money is individual cannabinoids. And by the way, that study that I mentioned, mm -hmm. well, it's sponsored by the U.S. Department of Defense for autism. And if you read it, the place where they're getting their CBDV is GW Pharmaceuticals. So there is that pattern happening the same way Big Pharma does it with everything else on individual components. So we will have that. There's no avoiding that because there's where the big money is. And once they have a patent and they can get a precision drug, they'll make all their money back. So that's, that's the future. The second part of that is going to be uh, what I consider the uh, nutraceutical type of market. Yeah. So you will have 
indication-specific products, mm -hmm. indication-specific products that are consistent, they're tested, they're done the same way that you would get your supplements today, that you would just have cannabinoid uh, substances with that. And then you have different additives to that also. Um, I still believe there will be, you know, the regular dispensary market where you can get your flour and all that stuff. People will probably grow their own. There'll, there'll be all kinds of different technologies in place where, you, you know, you don't have to do the, your your university closet like I used to do. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like, you know, it'll be a little thing. You press a button, bam, you have a plant and it's dried and uh, it's cured and uh, you have it. So, yeah. and then uh, I've seen different things where you have individual machines that speak through, even through our uh, database, they can actually create individual products for you or on a more massive scale. So wherever you go, uh, no, no matter where you are in the world, if you say, you know, I know my formulation is number one that helps me sleep. I can get my number one formulation anywhere. Just you would as like the old compounding pharmacy type of thing. Here's mm -hmm. all my components. I can make it for you and I can make it for you uh, to order. One more thing I'm going to predict because I saw this at the digital health summit. Yeah. They now are able to 3d print medication so they can take one single capsule that has every single one of your medications in one capsule and you just take it once. And I've seen this. So I think the future of medicine is going to be something like that. That's incredible and exciting. <laughs> wow. I was thinking that when you said the plants and I was like, yeah, 3D printing may come in there. That would be. It's already happening. Wow. It's happening wow, because wow, they're doing wow. tissue culture sampling. So you were talking about genetic drift in the plant. Well, yeah. the one way to avoid that is to do tissue culture sampling. Mm -hmm. And then they're, then they're growing terpenes and other cannabinoids from different substances like yeast, for instance. Yeah. So yeah. Like, uh, like we have different, uh, um, we have different proteins that you can grow from different substances. We'll do the same thing. Like technology is going to, is definitely going to take over. Mm -hmm. But the difficult thing about technology is you can't replicate the 500 different components. It's a plant. And big ag is going to yeah. be a big part of it. So you're going to have big yeah. ag here, big farming here, and then like craft breweries that make beer, like <laughs> my friends. And say, oh, I have something, a special, a special strain for you. So we'll probably see some of that too. Yeah. I always think back to like nature. You can't always replicate every single part of that synergism with nature. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, what, what is going to come. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one final thing for those who are still, you know, really unsure about trying cannabis, using cannabis, because I get these on a daily basis, because obviously the knowledge and the, the exposure is not here, particularly in Australia. Um, what would you say to those people who are, who are really sceptical still and think that cannabis is this, you know, this very bad substance? <laughs> obviously, we've spoken through so much, but a final yeah. departing thought, maybe. I mean, cannabis is illegal uh, for only a political, maybe some racist reasons. It has nothing to do with the plant itself. Uh, if you compare this plant to anything else that's already legal, including alcohol, including all the other gateway products, uh, there are no deaths. It does have adverse effects. We already mentioned some of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say do your research. Uh, it is safe. Uh, use the endoDNA test to find out what's right for you so you don't have an adverse experience or, you know, speak to a healthcare professional. But I say, you know, 
do your research, remove the fear because the, it's, it's based on uh, manipulative facts, I would say. Yeah. Uh, there, there is no research to support the, your brain on drugs with cannabis and all the other, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan era stuff and Richard Nixon stuff. There's no, there's no science behind it. So if you're concerned, do your research. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to you. Do your own research mm. and find out if you can show that, uh, you know, all these things are myths that have been uh, suggested in the media. They're not true. You know, killing brain cells and potheads are, are uh, lazy and all that stuff. I think uh, the richest man in the world is Elon Musk now. And I think he consumed them Joe Rogan show. So he obviously <laughs> inhales. And uh, I don't think he's, uh, uh, he's uh, you know, a dumb person. I don't think, you know, cannabis is killing his brain cells. So I would say just do your research and uh, just my parents are a perfect example of that. Yeah. They kicked me out. They yeah. called the police. They, my dad thought cannabis was the same as, as heroin. He had yeah. no distinction between the two. But when he tried himself, he was like, oh, that's it? Cool. I can laugh a little bit and now I can consume. And yeah, so, it, so I would just say, you know, just be aware, uh, titrate slow and low, but, uh, you know, give it a shot. I don't think uh, you'll have that kind of bad experience and you'll get rid of your, your stigma. Yeah. Uh, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> maybe um, maybe you'll have some munchies. <laughs> that's not probably not that, that bad a thing. Just have the good stuff on, on hand. <laughs> exactly. uh, wonderful. Think about it. We don't have we don't have munchies when our munchies are kicked in. Yeah. Uh, we don't we don't crave kale. We crave no. sugar, <laughs> yeah, sweet and fat. And that's yeah. because the amygdala part of our brain is triggered for that, which mimics yes. the way anime works. So yes, yeah. THC giving you more of that, that bliss if you have to consume it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so amazing advice. Thank you, Len. Wonderful to speak with you. So knowledgeable. I would love to have you back for round two at some point. We can then go through some, some more of the, the research that's coming out and more of mm -hmm. what's, what's been happening, you know, in the next sort of year, because I'm sure it's going to move quite fast. And then well, let's go over your report. Absolutely. We'll go over with the, the audience. Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds like a fantastic idea. <laughs> Makes me do it then. <laughs> right, let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, Len, so much. Um, I look forward to speaking to you soon and um, have a wonderful rest of your night. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Revital Health Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Revital Health as well as our website, revitalhealth.com.au, for upcoming podcasts, workshops, and speaking events. Find out about specials happening in the clinic and all the show notes and links mentioned in the podcast. Please remember that this information discussed here is general information and is not intended to diagnose or treat individuals. Please speak to your healthcare professional before embarking on any new treatments, lifestyle changes, medicines or supplementation to assess your suitability. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you again soon.